Coming up on Mayo Clinic Q&A, it's time to ask the Mayo Mom. An endoscopy is a procedure that allows doctors to examine or treat problems in the upper gastrointestinal tract. In kids, it's usually performed when a child is having trouble swallowing, unexplained weight loss, or belly pain. This is typically an outpatient procedure that can be uncomfortable for your child, but not painful. Endoscopy involves us being able to take a look inside, seeing your esophagus, your stomach, and the first part of your small intestine. For the upper endoscopy, or sometimes we call it an EGD. And then the endoscopy also entails another subset of looking through the colon, uh, that's the colonoscopy. Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Angela Mackey and welcome to Ask the Mayo Mom on Mayo Clinic Q&A. I'm a pediatrician at Mayo Clinic Children's Center in Rochester, Minnesota and host of this show about pediatric health topics. Today we are talking all about endoscopy in children, including the reasons why they might need this procedure. Joining us for this discussion is Dr. Pua Hobson, live from the endoscopy suite at Mayo Clinic Children's Center at St. Mary's Hospital. Dr. Hobson is a pediatric gastroenterologist and in addition to seeing patients in the general pediatric GI clinic, also has expertise in evaluating patients with aerodigestive concerns and eosinophilic esophagitis. Dr. Hobson, thank you so much for coming back and joining us again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to show you guys around. Yeah, I'm really excited because I haven't really spent much time in um, the endoscopy suite, except when I got to experience it myself last year, which was pretty fun. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember much of it. So, but I I think it's a really valuable procedure. And obviously we have a lot of patients that have to undergo these procedures. So I'm so glad that we can share, you know, your knowledge to patients and families and really help them get prepared for what to expect during that day. Great. Awesome. Okay. So endoscopy is a, is a kind of a weird, ambiguous, nebulous sort of word. What does it mean um, exactly? So patients can understand that. Yeah, no problem. So endoscopy is basically like a camera study uh, in all like uh, simple terms. Um, endoscopy involves us being able to take a look inside, seeing your esophagus, your stomach, and the first part of your small intestine for the upper endoscopy, or sometimes we call it an EGD. And then the endoscopy also entails uh, uh, another subset of looking through the colon, uh, that's the colonoscopy. The endoscopy is really um, a a camera study that we can look at uh, on the inside of the GI tract. And and with that, we can also do some biopsies too, and really get down to what's, what's causing some symptoms. Okay. Great. Um, so when would, you know, a child or even a, I guess this applies to kind of adults as well, when would they need to get an, an, exa- an endoscopy or why? Yeah, great question. So oftentimes we're doing endoscopies to look for uh, causes of things like abdominal pain that really doesn't have an explained reason. Um, uh, sometimes if you have swallowing disorders, we have to really take a good look into the esophagus. Uh, specifically EOE is one that I treat. Um, And and sometimes cases uh, of abdominal pain can really clue us into, is there inflammation causing this inflammation in the esophagus, the stomach, or the small intestine? Um, In the small intestine, there's also uh, something called celiac disease, which sometimes can just present with abdominal pain too. And that one has to be found with an endoscopy. Um, And then from the lower GI tract, if you're having, you know, diarrhea that's unexplained, uh, blood in the stool. Oftentimes we use endoscopy as a really helpful tool to identify things like Crohn's 
or ulcer colitis, uh, and then sometimes polyps even happen in kids too. And so that would be the one way we'd be able to find it and also have some help in uh, removing it and, and treating it with the colonoscopy. Okay. You said EOE, um, and I oh, yeah. had said eosinophilic esophagitis, which is a mouthful. Um, so I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that that later, but that's just the abbreviation for everyone to be able to understand when we use that, because I would much rather say EOE than eosinophilic oh, yeah. esophagitis. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Much easier to say. Thanks for catching that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, okay. So let's talk about how we um, can help prepare a patient on what to expect on the day of the procedure. Um, what are the, what are these conversations sound like in the office that you have with your patients? Yep. So on the day of the procedure, uh, because you'll be asleep for the procedure, uh, and we'll go under sedation uh, so that we can do this safely and quickly, uh, you'll have to be an empty stomach, meaning around midnight the night before, nothing to eat or drink. Uh, and then you'll come in and have the procedure, usually do them first thing in the morning. Uh, and with the procedure, you have to either get an IV, but sometimes the anesthesiologist will allow you to go to sleep with a mask and then put an IV in after. Uh, and then once you're asleep and, and uh, uh, comfortable, we do the procedure. The EGD takes at the upper endoscopy takes about 10 minutes. So it's really quick. I usually tell patients, it takes you much longer to fall asleep and wake back up than it does for me to do any of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and parents are usually surprised when I come back in the room and say, we did it, we're all done. And they're like, really? That's so quick. <laughs> so uh, the upper endoscopy is very quick. Um, the colonoscopy will probably be closer to about 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes max. Um, so both procedures are fairly quick. When you wake back up, I usually say it's normal to experience a little bit of bloating or like uh, gas if we're doing the colonoscopy. And that's because we use little puffs of air to open up these areas so we can really see you know, the extent of the esophagus or the small intestine. And that nausea, like a bloating feeling usually goes away in a couple of hours. Pain is something that uh, you typically don't experience after an endoscopy, although some people may feel bloating as pain. So in those instances, like I say, they regress within the day um, as the air gets absorbed or you, it out. I usually tell people after do a colonoscopy, just let the farts fly. Don't yep. worry about that. I'll feel better much faster. Um, uh, but then afterwards, uh, you'll get the photos of what I do to it, the day of. So I'll show you all the photos. And if I ever see anything concerning like a rash or, or something on the inside, like an ulcer, I take extra photos. So it's like you're there with me. And then um, the photos you'll get today. And I'll say, you know what, this is what I found. The biopsies, which are tiny, tiny little pinches of tissue that we take. Uh, I usually say it's tip of a pen is the size or the tiniest freckle on your skin. That goes out to our, our pathologists and they give us a, a reading on that. You know, if there's microscopic inflammation or celiac disease or Crohn's. Uh, they'll tell us that on, on about two or three days. So you'll usually have a follow-up with your doctor to review those biopsy results. Um, and then uh, for the most part, uh, the prep before, other than saying with nothing to eat the night before, for a colonoscopy, your doctor will usually ask that you do a bowel prep where you take a medication, usually a high dose of a liquid uh, mixed with Miralax, and you have a lot of diarrhea to just clean out that colon so that we can really see everything. 
Excellent. So you went over a lot of questions that I think kids have. It's not going to hurt them, but probably one of the questions is like, will they remember it and who's going to be there during, during that procedure? Yeah. So, um, you're, you're right. It's not going to be painful. Um, when you're doing here for the procedure, you can come back to our, our suite with your parents. Um, and then once you're off to sleep, we'll have your parents go to a waiting room, or you could just come back on your own. We have a fun, you know, bed you can drive to get back here. Um, uh, I usually say if you want to listen to music, if you want to bring your iPad, this is totally fine to bring back into our OR too, if it makes you comfortable. But once you wake up though, your parents will be right by your side. So we'll, while you're still asleep, we'll put you back into a, a room, um, possibly the one you were in in the beginning. Uh, and then we'll have your parents come in before you start to wake up. So um, you'll wake up and say, did you do it yet? Or am I in the same room? Um, so yeah, it's a it's pretty quick uh, procedure and you know pretty painless. And uh, we have child life available too because it's normal to feel anxiety before attending this procedure, especially it's something new you've never experienced. Um, so our child life specialists are really great at talking you through different things. Uh, they even have some really fun scents that you can put on a mask that may help you to go to sleep. And so it's almost excited to hear what, what the kids choose. There's like cotton candy, there's strawberry, you know, chocolate and things like that. So we try to predict it sometimes, but we can't. But so yeah, there's a lot of fun things that happen here. Um, and like I said, when you go to sleep, you can have your parents here with you, or it'll be myself and our team here. And then you wake up with your parents next to you. Awesome. Uh, well, I think we should um, take advantage of being in the endoscopy suite. And I know for our listeners on podcast, we're going to describe to you what it looks like, what to expect and those kind of things. But I really want to see your toys. Um, yeah. Can you start to show us <laughs> what you use for it to do these procedures? And Absolutely. I like, I, I don't know if you ever use the word toys, but I, that seems so relatable <laughs> for kids, right? They of being are. able to understand it. For sure. Toys and video games is exactly what I do to, in, in, on these days. And I love, I love being in the endoscopy suite too. So I'll show you the, the first thing, um, which actually is our endoscope. Um, and right now I'm just turning on the button so that I can uh, show you what it may look like on the, the video screens behind me. But what I'm holding here is a really long flexible tube. Uh, it's usually, if you've seen your doctor's stethoscope, it's about that size. Um, but like I said, nice and flexible, soft. On the very end here, there's a light shining at you. There's a light and a camera. Um, and then also, I don't know if you can see it, but there's this another small hole where I can pass like a biopsy forceps, or if we have to do something like a, removing a polyp, I can pass some tools through that hole and be able to work in a really small space. Um, so the end of it is really kind of the, the driver here. So the video camera here, you can see I'm on the video behind me. Feeling with my hand, hello. So this is uh, one of the monitors that I'll usually have. That's kind of near the bed so I can see where I'm going. And just like a video game, I use these little turn dials on my left hand here that I'm holding to look either up or down or left or right. And as I'm turning these, you can see the, the scope on the, the video, at least that we're doing, move up and down. So that's kind of the way I navigate through. Um, and uh, this is for the upper endoscopy. The lower endoscopy or, or the colonoscopy or the colonoscope 
that one is about the same size, but just longer. The, the reach that I have to get to see the entire colon is, is much longer than, than to see the upper part. Um, and then one other thing I'll show you too is this is um, sometimes we, we may put in certain probes or catheters, uh, specifically, let's say you're coming in with maybe some symptoms of reflux or, uh, or heartburn, or if you're having some difficulty swallowing, sometimes we can check certain things uh, to test the esophagus. Um, one of the probes that we commonly use is called a pH impedance probe. And this one we, we typically will put in to, to assess for reflux. And so while you're asleep, we can put this probe in, it'll go into your nose and it just sits in your esophagus. And, and when you wake up, it'll kind of be taped out here on your face, it's painless. Uh, but uh, this probe can help us see reflux happening when it does. And so I'll show you here on the camera, I'm holding a really thin, flexible um, tube and there's some numbers on the side that help us uh, see kind of what depth we're at when we put it in. And then this on the very end of the tube, there's some small metallic um, looking uh, pieces. That's where we'll measure different things like pH. They'll measure how things move up and down in the esophagus too. So nice, soft and flexible. And people are usually surprised at how small it is. Um, and uh, like I said, this is something that we may Put in while you're asleep uh, if, if, if we're looking for things like reflux. Okay. And the probe, sorry, one last thing. Yeah, yeah, it's please, connected. please share more. So sorry, I forgot about that. It's connected to this box that you'll go home with. Um, and there's some numbers there uh, on this little black kind of, almost like a camera case or a phone case. Um, and those numbers will help us know, like if you're having certain symptoms, I can correlate that with is that symptom, like a cough or pain related to a reflux event. Awesome. So my toys. <laughs> though, yeah, you've got a lot of toys. It almost is like playing like a video game, how you have like your controller and you can kind of move things. Yeah. Obviously it shows your incredible dexterity skills <laughs> and being able to do those kind of things. I did play lots of video games as a kid. So maybe that's helpful. <laughs> well, you know what? That's, that's what um, I, I hear uh, kids say all the time is that I'm just preparing to be a surgeon or being a proceduralist <laughs> and things like that. Um, at least that's what my husband used to say. Um, so the, I guess one question as a parent um, that is a lot of parents go through their mind is, is there anything that I need to prepare for that could go wrong or could there be any complications that we need to talk about before the procedure? Yeah, great question. So before any procedure, I always go through uh, the complications and you know, no procedure is without complications, but truly for the endoscopy, it is quite rare that we see anything happen. The two things that I always talk about are, the first is a risk of bleeding. This is highest if you have an underlying bleeding disorder. So it's always really good to make sure you mention that. And even if you've told a doctor before, you may see a new doctor, it's always good to keep that history on, on, on your, uh, the forefront. Um, so bleeding disorders for yourself that's getting the, the procedure or in the family are really important to know. If you have those, it increases the risk maybe of bleeding, but uh, usually we have certain things in place and different measures we can take to prevent that. Uh, if there's, uh, uh, and the bleeding risk primarily comes because we take really tiny, those tiny biopsies. Um, it's less than a scratch on the inside, so we usually say 
if you don't know if you have a bleeding disorder, if you do fine when you scraped your knee or you got a blood draw, then this is much less than I'll be doing inside. So bleeding is one we always talk about. The second one is creating a small hole or a tear that's sometimes called a, a perforation. This also is extremely rare, but still something we have to talk about because I'm going in on the inside. Uh, I showed you the tip of this. It's very uh, blunted, uh, the tip of the endoscopy that I'm holding right now. It's all blunted. Everything we use has no sharp ends. Um, so we really minimize the, the risk of creating a hole or tear by number one, having soft, flexible tools with blunted ends. And we move very slowly and methodically as we go. So those are the two ones that I always talk about and we have to talk about before every procedure. Uh, but again, I always say I'm not worried about these and, uh, and, and you shouldn't be either. Exactly. So at the beginning of the show, we discussed maybe some of the diagnoses that we're kind of looking for or looking to rule out with, with endoscopy procedures. Um, can you kind of go through some of those a little bit more in detail? And um, I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about EOE um, because yeah. you're an expert in this area and it actually happens not uncommon in children, so. Yes, yeah, so uh, the, some of the disorders, the most common one we usually see is uh, either inflammation in the esophagus due to reflux. Um, and in those cases, it, it may look completely normal on the endoscopy when we take a biopsy is really when we see, okay, there's some subtle signs of some inflammation. And so that's the important part of following up with your biopsies. So reflux in the esophagus is common. EOE or eosinophilic esophagitis, I can talk definitely more about too. Um, but it also in the esophagus, sometimes you may see like strictures or narrowing, and that really takes a, a really good uh, diagnostic tool to get biopsies and follow this up and see different causes of strictures. Ely and reflux could be those causes. Uh, in the stomach, most commonly we see uh, inflammation or gastritis. And it's important with the biopsies that we take that we rule out something called H. pylori. And that can be done with a stain on the biopsy, but also we have some other tests where we could send it off for a culture. Um, but H. pylori sometimes has a really classic look. So your doctor, if they see it on the camera study, may show you some photos and point things out, but sometimes it doesn't. Gastritis is quite common. And if you have H. pylori, then that would require antibiotics. If you just have inflammation, your doctor may recommend that you do something like acid suppression to decrease the acid in the stomach and allow for some healing time. Uh, you wouldn't have to stay on the acid suppression for very long, but sometimes that's helpful to, to help with that because relating to your pain. In the small intestine, we can see things like something called peptic duodenitis, which is a fancy term for just acid going into the duodenum, the small intestine, and, and causing a little bit of inflammation. The duodenum or the small intestine doesn't really like acid. So if it gets a lot of acid exposure, it can look a little bit inflamed and it could cause some pain. In that case, then, then uh, acid suppression would be helpful too. You know, something like omeprazole or, or uh, Nexium, over-the-counter medications that you would typically see. The other thing we can find in the small intestine is celiac disease. I, I mentioned that too. Uh, it's the only way we can uh, diagnose celiac disease or the best way to diagnose celiac disease is with a biopsy. Um, and the, the biopsy will show that in the, in the intestines, you have these, what I call them like finger-like projections, but it's like a really, it's like a microscopic carpet, right? And it's almost like celiac disease will, will have an effect to actually cause some inflammation at those 
those fingertips or that carpet and cause it to be really blunted or, uh, or flat um, on the biopsy. So the biopsy will help us see that in patients with celiac disease, you could have a wide range of things, abdominal pain, um, uh, poor growth, diarrhea, abdominal bloating. And so it's important to see uh, that on an endoscopy and get a biopsy. And if you have it, the treatment for celiac disease would be to eliminate gluten in your diet. Um, another really cool thing we can do with the biopsies in the small intestine is we can send them up to one of our labs and we'll look for something called disaccharidase deficiency. Big mouthful. <laughs> I don't have an abbreviation for that one. Uh, but basically, in that, that those finger-like projections in our intestine, at the very tips, we have enzymes that help break down different sugars that we eat. The most common ones are lactose, fructose, sucrose. They're in everything we eat. And if you lose the ability to break down those sugars, sometimes it can cause pain and bloating uh, downstream. The, really the best test is to just take a biopsy and see how many enzymes you have. The most common one we'll see is lactase deficiency, which is when the, that lactase is the enzyme that digests lactose. You might hear about this one is called uh, lactose intolerance. That's exactly what we would be able to diagnose with that biopsy. Um, but again, those fine-tuned ones with the sucrase and, and uh, isomaltase, they help di uh, digest other sugars that are really important. So that's what we would see from the, from the top. From the bottom with a colonoscopy, um, polyps, usually when we see polyps in kids, they're juvenile, benign polyps. They're usually just one and we remove them. The way we remove it is kind of similar to our biopsy, but we almost have a, a snare. It's kind of like a loop and I'll loop around the polyp and then we'll do a little bit of heat to kind of singe that area of the polyp and have it come off. Um, when the polyp is removed, we send that off to the pathologist and they'll help us determine if anything further needs to be done. And like I said, most cases, it's just a, a, a single polyp and it never returns. And you won't have to have a repeat colonoscopy until you're an adult. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that would be um, the most common polyps that we see. There are other polyp disorders. We may have many more polyps than just one. And those usually run in families. And when you have those, you'll have to do endoscopies quite often. The, the last thing we're really looking for in the colon, uh, colonoscopy is inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And um, I know we've had a talk about this before. It is It can be quite uh, inflammatory. So usually there's a really classic finding on it. If you have inflammation in the colon, it will be very visible on our camera study. So your doctor may be able to pull you into some things based on what they see on the camera. But the biopsy is ultimately what helps us determine uh, the diagnosis. And for Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, we have very specific treatments for that. Okay. Excellent. Very, very thorough review. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, no, those are great. <laughs> let's go, let's go back to talk about um, eosinophilic esophagitis or, or EOE. It's like a crazy long term. <laughs> um, but what does it actually mean and how does it present? Yeah. So EOE is eosinophilic esophagitis. And basically what it means, what it, what it is, is in the esophagus biopsy and you'll be able to see infiltration of the eosinophils, which is a small white blood cell um, that is in the esophagus. It really shouldn't be there. This white blood cell is usually uh, known for as like an allergy cell. So kids that have high allergies or, or 
um, asthma or eczema may have a little bit uh, more of these cells in their body. It's not that they'll have EOE. Uh, it is quite common we see them co-occur, but uh, for the most part, this eosinophil, when it's in the tissue, it just it's not supposed to be there and it's acting, it's really active. So it's pulling in all these inflammatory markers and it's causing the esophagus to be inflamed when it shouldn't. Um, for kids that have eczema, I usually describe it to them. It's like eczema on the esophagus. And when I take a biopsy, I see all these eosinophils and they are the culprit of causing this inflammation. So treating it is really getting at how can we get the eosinophils out of the esophagus or not coming in there anymore. Mm -hmm. The biopsies that we have to take for, for EOE are gonna be along the entire esophagus because they're tiny, but we take it in three areas of your esophagus. And when we find eosinophilic esophagitis, we diagnose it with the biopsy. You have to have more than 15 eosinophils when they look at it under the microscope. 15 is uh, 15 or more would solidify our diagnosis, but sometimes there's these, you know, gray areas where it may be less than 15 or just at 16, you know? So, so sometimes we, we can use something like the pH impedance probe that I showed you before, that really small flexible probe to help us understand if this eosinophils or this inflammation is reflux related because reflux can also bring in some eosinophils to the esophagus. So it's number one, it's good to get those biopsies, especially to find out if you have EOE and then figure out if there's any other things happening to you, like reflux or gastritis. It's also important when you take these biopsies and when you get this endoscopy that we look for other eosinophils to be hiding out in other areas. There's eosinophilic gastrointestinal disease where you'll have eosinophils in the, the esophagus, the stomach, the intestines sometimes, and those will be found on the biopsy. That's quite rare. EOE is way more common. So when we find EOE, um, first of all, sorry, I forgot to mention this, the symptoms you'll typically have. Sometimes it may just be abdominal pain. It may just be, you know, I've, I've changed my diet. I don't really want to eat certain things because it causes pain. That, that could be the, the simplest thing that we would need to look for. Um, but some more, uh, what was it, like localized to symptoms in the esophagus would be sometimes heartburn, pain when you swallow foods, um, and then pain or difficulty or feeling like food gets stuck. And some people say, it just feels like pressure here. I have to take lots of swallows. Some, some clue into after the diagnosis, like, oh yeah, um, is, is when, you, when, when our, our child eats, he takes forever to eat, or he takes really small bites, or he drinks after every, you know, mm -hmm. every bite. And sometimes it's hard for kids to explain what they're feeling. And so it's really good to be visual and, and understand maybe those were subtle signs in the beginning that maybe we have something like eosinophilic esophagitis. Mm -hmm. but, um, but for the most part, it may be as simple as abdominal pain to as classic as you know, difficulty swallowing or food getting stuck. On rare occasions, happens more in adults that have EOE than, than children, however, it still happens often, is, is that we can get food stuck. It's called a food impaction. And that's also where I would come in with the endoscopy and help relieve a food impaction. Um, if you can't pass it, usually the food impactions happen because there's a stricture or narrowing in the esophagus. Uh, and that would be something that we'd have to figure out and help diagnose too with the endoscopy. That also brings me to one thing. I'm gonna sidestep real quickly because I forgot 
a really important thing we can do with endoscopy is remove foreign bodies. It happens yes. so often in yeah, kids. It does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, accidentally swallowing a coin or a toy. You know, this is a oh, this is the tool. You would come in just to see us, and we would have the uh, our little tools that I can pass through that endoscope and help remove things like coins, which you know <laughs> happens more often than you think. Um, yes. But with that, two foreign bodies that are really important to take away from this talk is button batteries and magnets. So button batteries in the esophagus are terrible. They are an emergency, emergency, emergency. Mm-hmm. Anytime a child swallows a button battery, we have to have to know about it as soon as possible uh, the, it, because it can cause so much damage. Uh, the second is the magnets, those really tiny magnets that are really fun to play with. But if you swallow more than one magnet, it can cause the bowel to kind of come together because they're super strong. And when it comes together, it can actually damage the bowel and create holes. So those are the two two really emergencies of when I would need to rush in and, and help uh, help a kid out. Um, okay, now we can go back to EOE. Sorry about that. I just, like forgot about foreign bodies. There's there's a funnest thing to actually do and, and come and take out. But uh, so the other thing with EOE is uh, treatment. So. With treatment, we unfortunately we're, we're borrowing from our asthma colleagues, and uh, we really you know use things like uh, steroids and things like that to really reduce inflammation and diet. Sometimes, um, I I wanted to show you one quick tool, but I know we're running a little bit out of time. Uh, it's called our EndoFlip. Awesome. And this is a newer thing that we we can do now in patients with EOE or with strictures or difficulty swallowing. And um, it's also that kind of like, so I'm holding this catheter, kind of it's like the pH probe. And on the end, there's this almost looks like cellophane. Uh, and this is a balloon. And so I can slowly bl- blow up the balloon and it'll fill with water. And when, when that fills with water, let's see if it's gonna work. Hopefully, we'll, oh yeah, okay, it's starting to fill with water. So you see at the very end, you're starting to fill with water here. The balloon will be in the esophagus. It's nice and flexible. And when it fills with water, I can test different areas of your esophagus. Number one, if you have a stricture, I don't know if you can see behind me, this is kind of a color scheme of what your esophagus would look like. And I can see if there's a stricture or a tightening. And I can also see if there's a difficulty with how the esophagus moves. Uh, or we can also test how tight the very bottom of the esophagus is that has to open up food. Let this fill up here a little bit. Okay, so this picture behind me is like a blue cylinder, and that's describe that's showing what the balloon looks like. So blue is kind of all this balloon. But then when I try to squeeze it in the middle, you can see that that turns to red. That would be what a stricture looks like. And so there's different varying like pressure that I can put on and we can really identify. And then if you have an esophagus and you're swallowing, you'll see good propagation of this like blue to red all the way down. And you can see that the esophagus moves well when I pretend that there's food there. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is one really cool uh, tool that I wanted to quickly show you guys. It's called EndoFlip. Um, And it's 
I, my daughter thinks that we're flipping patients around in the room and <laughs> um, it's, it's the flip FLIP stands for the name of this probe. It's a functional lumen imaging probe. And so that's the, the flip part of it. But yeah, so it's a new tool that we use to, if we're really worried about the motion of the esophagus or strictures. Wow. That is really cool. I want to play with your toys like all day long. <laughs> Um, this was fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Hobson, for giving us all this background about endoscopy and kind of why we do it and how we do it, and really especially describing your toys and showing them to us today. Thanks so much for having me. Please have a wonderful day, and remember, it's not too late to get your COVID-19 vaccinations, and if you're eligible for boosters, please get those as soon as possible. Have a wonderful day. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.